How did we ever make it in life without phone apps? Think about it. Uh, some of you never had to, right? Some of you, uh, those who are much younger, uh, have grown up with them as just a part of your life. But some of you uh, remember what it was like when you had to actually look in the newspaper to find out if our sports team uh, won or not. And notice I didn't specify which sports team because uh, I don't want to get any kind of uh, problems going in here. Uh, even though the Cowboys are playing tonight, playing the Giants, and uh, we will pray for them later. But maybe you remember that you had to look in the yellow pages of a phone book to find a plumber. Uh, Larry always uh, looks, if he was trying to find a number, he looks in the phone book and he'll ask, he, he knows not to ask anymore, but he'll, he has asked, uh, do you have a phone book? And I just laugh, thinking, no, I don't have a, what's a phone book? Uh, but uh, certainly I remember uh, that that was all we had to look at, was to look through the yellow pages, uh, if you want to find a plumber, and to listen to the radio or watch the local news to find out the forecast. And I remember uh, you would have to, if you wanted to know what the exact time was, or if you wanted to know uh, what the weather was going to be like in my city, uh, you would call the bank. You would just call down and they would, uh, somebody uh, had a recording or whatever and would tell you uh, what the exact time was. You can't do that now. Uh, but we now go to our apps for things like this, don't we? Uh, I recently saw a weather app that was promising not only to tell you everything you needed to know about the weather, not just how hot or cold it was going to be, but what the barometric pressure was. Uh, going to be for that day and um, allergies and all that, much like the Weather Channel app. But this one would tell you, based on that information and based on your zip code and uh, whatever else, whatever information you put in, it would tell you what you were supposed to wear. Whatever the weather was going to do uh, would dictate what you were, were going to wear if you're going to need to carry an umbrella or whatever else. And for someone like me who never knows what to wear, uh, it's, it's a vexing, uh, every morning when I get up and I try to plan ahead, maybe even think about it the night before, uh, but it's always just uh, chaos, trying to figure out uh, what, what's going to match, uh, is this going to make me look fat, um, you know, what, whatever else, but um, I could benefit from granimals for adults, and if there are... If there was an app, a Granimals app out there, you could take a picture of your clothes and it would tell you, you know, no way, don't walk outside wearing these two things together, then that would be of help to me. But I appreciate being told what to wear. I need to know what to wear. And as we've heard in our text this morning, Paul told the church in Rome what to wear. If you look back in your uh, Bible there, if you don't have a Bible, there is one on the pew rack in front of you, and we are looking at Romans chapter uh, 13. And in these verses, Paul tells them to put on Jesus. He tells the church at Rome to put on Jesus. Now, Paul uses language like this in other places, like in Colossians. Paul talks about being clothed with Christ. And there is a lot of imagery that uh, Paul uses, especially referring to baptism. And we can see that the practice of baptism 
involve taking off clothes and putting on new clothes. And whenever we have a baptism, we have uh, a symbol of that just with the, uh, the white baptismal robe. It just reminds us that uh, it is uh, being born anew. We are getting something new to wear, and that is Jesus Christ. So the imagery of clothing was in contrast to the dirty clothes that he had just mentioned. And we heard that list a second ago, not reveling in drunkenness, debauchery, licentiousness, quarreling, or jealousy. Uh, And all of those are things that they were familiar with. Paul knew that they were having problems with those things because I'm sure he himself had the same issues, right? That he knew that these were things that we as humans have trouble with. And so he says, uh, take, take all of that and just cast it aside. Recognize you have something new to wear. That you are to wear Jesus Christ. And so all of this was uh, part of this new clothing. And if you look in the verses that are above this part about putting on Jesus, he talks about things that I would say would be articles of that clothing. If we want to know what would Jesus wear, uh, we can understand that these are essentials to his wardrobe. And they are light, love, and discipline. And the most visible and important article of the clothing was love, uh, which is one of the reasons we sang about love this morning, because love is what we are to know. Love is what we are to do in our lives. It is not just an emotion. It is something that involves uh, our actions. And so Paul tells them, he says, owe no one anything. Wouldn't it be nice to owe no one anything? But Paul says, oh, no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. He explains how all of the commandments, and if you look there, he goes through uh, some of the commandments. He says, they can be summed up in the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. And we think, wow, where did he get that idea? Jesus. That's what Jesus said, right? Uh, as he was asked about the most important thing that uh, could ever be done, and he says, love God with everything that you have. Every fiber of your being, love God. And then he said, the second is like it. The second cannot be separated from the first. It is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, Paul says. And Paul really talks a lot about love. He writes a lot about it. Uh, The verse that we tend to use, or the verses that we use in most weddings, are uh, from 1 Corinthians 13, which is known as the love chapter, right? Everybody likes to hear that, and it's, uh, it's a great thing to remind a couple, uh, or to remind ourselves as we begin the day, but it is not an easy thing to be able to live according to those words. And I always remind people that uh, those That word, love, in 1 Corinthians 13, about love, you know, it's not selfish, keeps no record of wrongs, all of that, is the word agape. That word that means lay down your life for somebody. It's more than an affectionate love. It is a self-dying kind of love. And so Paul says, all of the the commandments, everything can be summed up in that statement. And he knew this instruction would help them survive in the relationships within the church. 
So uh, as you think about the church meeting there in Rome, going through some real difficulties, Paul had not been there. Paul had not visited uh, the, the church at Rome. He had hoped to get there. But as he writes to them, he knows that they have troubles in their church, just like every church uh, sometimes has relationship issues. And especially when there's a lot of pressure on a church coming from the outside and the uh, empire of Rome is putting pressure on the church, this uh, small movement of followers of Jesus is beginning to worry the powers that be. And so they put pressure on them. And so they start to fight with one another. And so Paul knew this would be something that they would need to know also in terms of their witness in the world. We are to put on Jesus as well. And we're to do that by putting on our love for our neighbor. We tend to make faith more complicated than that, don't we? I mean, it's easier to focus on religious rules and to keep track of, uh, of our and other people's uh, ability to follow those rules. Churches are notorious for this. Uh, people love to talk about the um, challenges that people face, uh, other people face in a church, whether uh, you know, it's gossip about something that's going on or whether it's uh, a prayer request. We love to share prayer requests, don't we? Uh, those that sometimes you know, pray for uh, sister such and such. Didn't you know that she, uh, she was in jail last night? Or... We love to do that, and uh, we love to hold people up to a particular standard, and we uh, try to identify them as, as those who are not uh, really worthy of living up to the name of followers of Christ, like we are. But we certainly don't like to uh, focus in on ourselves. We may also value a belief or adherence to a creed of a particular church more than loving our neighbors. Well, this happens all the time. Churches will, uh, would rather follow a particular doctrine or a rule of their church than to love someone and to love them for who they are and to be able to express a real kind of unconditional love. But Jesus said that having love for one's neighbor is the only benchmark for whether or not someone is measuring up spiritually. For whether or not a church is living up to its calling as a church, that love is the only real way to measure that. And what God is most interested in is how we relate with love to the members of our family. That's where the rubber meets the road, right? With your family members. That's the most difficult place to live your Christian witness. Because those people know you the best. They know what you're thinking before you say it. They know what, what you're doing. They know what you're not doing. And that is where our faith needs to be expressed in love. But also to the people that we work with during the week. Or to the homeless in our city. To the people who don't love us back. As Jesus said, love your enemies. If you really want to love, love your enemies. Because everybody loves their friends. But the real test is how you love people who are not going to do anything uh, to, to uh, reward you for it and to love you back. But also, 
for those who are the elderly and can no longer take care of themselves, the forgotten in our society, or immigrants who move in among us, to the homophobic person that you encounter on Facebook, to the person who just lost everything in a hurricane, and to the people who don't agree with you about anything. Putting on Jesus means putting all of them in the locale of our loving actions. And that's an intentional thing that we do, not just something that we say. Uh, By the way, as we're talking about putting on Jesus, Sabra Hicks saw that I was going to be uh, using that title of what, who are you wearing? And she said she got a gift for her birthday. And I don't know if the image ever pulled up or not. Did it, Robert? Uh, that's not it, but um, it's not there. So if, if you will uh, ask Sabra Hicks about her socks, she will show you that she is wearing Jesus. It didn't show up. It was such a, a glorious picture, it didn't make it. But another key article of clothing that the church of Rome was to have on was light. And Paul talks about light here in this chapter. To put on Jesus was to put on light. And Paul reminded the church in Rome that they knew what time it was. Time to be awake. Time to be vigilant for the arrival of Jesus. Paul lived with this sense of immediacy that Jesus was going to come back at any moment. And he truly believed it was going to be in his lifetime. Now, we can look at that and realize that Paul was not correct in that. He was not wrong for living as though it could happen at any time. But he, uh, in terms of it happening in his lifetime, it didn't. At least in the way that we like to think about it. But Paul talks about being vigilant and living as though Jesus were going to come at any moment. They were no longer to revel in their deeds done in darkness before they met Jesus. In other words, if Jesus was to come today, would you be embarrassed about the things that you're doing? As light comes and dispels the darkness, what will you be doing, Paul says. They were now living in light, and their job was to light up the world around them with Jesus. Well, as a church today, we are to have light on as well. We are to make sure that we are living in the light. And that should be a given. It should be a given that the church is a light in the world. A beacon in our world that is caught up in the deeds of darkness and heading for a certain shipwreck. But is it really a given? Sometimes the church is just as much in the dark as in the light. And I'm not just talking about our church, but the church in general, the church universal. Sometimes the church revels in deeds of darkness, not necessarily by partaking in them by uh, all of the things that we just heard about, but by covering up its light out of neglect or unwillingness to engage the darkness. It's more comfortable inside the walls of the church, isn't it? If you take your light outside, if you take it into the darkness, there is an unknown factor, there is risk, there is a chance that we will be injured in some way, whether it's spiritually or physically. And so we tend to shrink back. Like the church Paul wrote to, we are to be a church who knows the difference between light and darkness. We are to be a church who is awake and sober, 
about the work that we have to do right here in our community. We are to follow Jesus with an urgency based on the need of the hour to do what light does. Just like Paul said, wake up. You know what time it is. And you need to get busy. And the same thing is true with us. That we need to do what light does. Illuminates what needs to be seen. Creates and sustains life. And provides hope. And shows the way. As Martin Luther King Jr. stated it, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Now if you take that and you break it down, you say darkness, uh, what, what could that mean in my neighborhood? What could it mean right here in the context of Church for the Highlands? And you think about, uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, how pervasive uh, drugs are, especially meth and crack right here in the neighborhood. There was a... a, a I don't know, I say kid, he, he looked like he was under 20, and he was uh, right down the street Thursday night before the meal, and uh, he was arrested, and um, there was a lot of commotion going on out here, and it turns out it was uh, involving meth, and so uh, it, it's just, I tell people every day we encounter uh, this problem, and if we want to drive that out, if we want to... Uh, begin to deal with that issue and the crime that comes along with that in our neighborhood, then we need to understand that we are the ones to do something about it. We are to influence this neighborhood with our light and to help people. Paul knew that living as light as a church was a task, a task that could be disabled by certain obstacles and ones that could keep the church from being what it was called to be there in Rome. He knew that churches could be guilty of losing their focus, of forgetting their mission, of getting comfortable with their status, and becoming self-centered in their activity. By the way, this happened around 350, when the church became the official church uh, of the empire. And from then on, the church has struggled to be the church Jesus intended for it to be. Whenever it became official, it received a certain kind of status by Constantine. And we've been in trouble ever since. Forgetting our mission, getting comfortable with status, becoming self-centered in their activity. These were things that Paul knew would be a problem. So he called them to exercise discipline. And he gets real specific with an instead. So he's, he's writing all this and he says, instead of all of that stuff, that long list of things that we love to do, and he says in our flesh, he says, instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like you put on clothing, put on Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In other words, they were to exercise discipline as a body of Christ, to be so intentional about living like Jesus that there would be no time, no room, no energy, no resources for anything else. It would be all about Jesus. Love and light are vital for our wardrobe as Christians. But so is discipline. We don't like the word discipline. I don't like it. Um, that's a word that I would hear uh, from my parents. Um, you know, okay, we're going to have to impose some discipline. And uh, that usually involves some pain or uh, being grounded or something taken away. I didn't, didn't like that. 
but discipline is necessary. Like the dieter, dieter who must toss out the candy bars, the ice cream, the potato chips, and the sodas in order to ever get in shape. So we, as the church, must dispose of those things that make us unhealthy, of the self-centeredness, of spiritual lethargy, and any inclination for comfortability. This next Sunday is our church's seventh anniversary, and this will be a great time for us to renew our commitment to living as a healthy body of Christ. We will have the opportunity to re-up on our membership and commit, yeah, whose who side? <laughs> to re-up and to say, I'm going to recommit myself. That It's not a, a seven-year itch for us. It is a commitment that we are renewing to say, I am committed to being a member at Church of the Highlands and to Bible study and being involved with other people in Bible study, to prayer and to missional ministry. As followers of Jesus, we are to keep ourselves in shape, not allowing ourselves to hit the snooze button of our Christian witness and to be drawn back into slumber. That's my big problem every morning, is uh, I try to get up and go for a run, and uh, I have several alarms set on my phone, and I I know that if I ever snooze on the first one, it's not going to happen. I'll stay right there in bed and uh, finally get up when it's too late to to go run. But if I stand there and I say, no, I'm just going to stay here for a second. I'm not going to get back in bed. I really feel like getting back in bed, but I know that it's going to be bad if I do. If I just start moving one, take a step, take another step, then all of a sudden I notice that I'm out running and doing what I need to do to stay in shape. And the same thing is true for us. We are to push ourselves to get up to get out, and to get busy in the world. And don't forget to get dressed before you go out. You don't need an app to tell you what to wear. Just put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.